Welcome to an emergency episode of John Talks, but it's a good emergency. It's been a pretty silent baseball offseason, but today the Mets shook the baseball world by acquiring four-time All-Star Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco from Cleveland for Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, Josh Wolf, and Isaiah Green. Of course, here to talk about it with me is my buddy Steve Inman. And Steve, when the news broke, I was in shock because off-season trades come out of nowhere, especially since we didn't have the traditional winter meetings this year. You knew the Mets were automatically attached to every big free agent, every trade candidate, especially that Steve Cohen purchased the team this offseason. And we'll get to the entire offseason a little later, but your initial reaction to the Lindor Carrasco trade. I mean, I was thrilled. I mean, when was the last time the Mets were on the fleecing end of a big deal like this? You know, you talk about Francisco Lindor, four-time All-Star, as you said, coming off a down year, you know, $20 million. The Indians are saying, oh, we can't afford to pay him that in arbitration before he becomes a free agent. And they're basically telegraphing that they want to dump him somewhere else. So you kind of thought, okay, there'll be a bidding war. Somebody will take him. And nobody really stepped up. So the Mets get him on the cheap. They trade their two shortstops both of which have had their ups here. They've had some downs here and they trade two uh, prospects that uh, were part of the Brody Van Wagenen era anyway. So I think those guys were probably on the, on the move somewhere else if they weren't uh, in this deal anyway. So it, it seems like a home run for sure. And uh, I'm really excited to see what's uh, coming up next. I know that we have to give credit to, to Porter as well, but because he is the GM. I can't think of a trade that Sandy Alderson's made where the Mets have gotten fleeced when he's been the general manager or he's been in the Mets front office. And it it has to be something small, right? Small ones. I mean, I remember Angel Pagan for Andres Torres a hundred years ago. That was one that didn't work out. And Pagan won a couple, I think he won at least one world series as a key player in uh, San Fran, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's nothing really that really hurt the Mets long-term in any of the deals he's made. And he's made some, of the, you know, three of the 10 biggest trades in franchise history when you talk about Cespedes and R.A. Dickey and now this one. Right, 100%. And this could be the best trade that Sandy Alderson makes for the Mets if they win the World Series. You know, the Mets did not win the World Series with Mike Piazza or Yoannis Cespedes. Um, Same thing with Syndergaard, of course. If the Mets were to win this year and Syndergaard is healthy, he would be a part of that deal. That's all semantics. Listen, Lindor is the best shortstop in a Mets uniform since Jose Reyes. And in fact, and this is how much the game has changed. In his first six seasons, Lindor has better numbers in more categories than Reyes. Obviously, he's not going to steal the amount of bases that Reyes did. Nobody ever will, uh, except Ricky Henderson. But, you know, Lindor, he's got a higher batting average, higher slugging, home run, RBI, OPS, OPS+. plus. Um, the Mets are not getting 38-year-old, let's hope that we can squeeze some final juice out of Francisco Lindor. This is 26-year-old. Francisco Lindor. And I think this might be the youngest guy that they've traded for as as technically a rental, um, probably since Santana. And I think Santana was hovering around 30 years old. I have to look up the exact number, his his exact age. But I can't remember the last time the Mets traded for a player in their prime with no baggage. Like you're not getting Jose Reyes back like you did in 2016. Um, This is, this has just been, this is a home run deal for the Mets, uh, no matter how you slice it, at least for 2021. Yeah, I mean, the Mets haven't traded for a guy in his prime as a rental like this ever because there have only been a handful of these kind of guys to ever become rentals and be traded because the only baggage on Lindor's resume is he got to the major leagues too quickly because now all of a sudden you're talking about a guy who's, you know, 26, 27 years old who is, you know, 
entering his prime and about to hit free agency. Usually the guys who hit free agency are mostly in their prime, halfway through their prime. And, you know, you're worrying about the back half of that contract here. You're, you're talking about realistically the best could be yet to come for Francisco Lindor, which is crazy to think. A hundred percent. Some housekeeping notes. So Santana was 29. Cespedes was 30. You get the point. Francisco Lindor, 26. Um, so let's look at this Mets offseason as a whole because they've been the most active team this offseason with the San Diego Padres. I don't want to diminish what they've been able to do. Um, and we could talk about where the Mets stand in the National League. I think they still need more arms to bolster and we'll, and we'll see what happens there. But, you know, the, the two big catching free agent prospect uh, free agents were James McCann and JT Realmuto. They got one of the two and McCann at a relatively good deal so they could take on this Lindor money. Um, I think at least Steve, they have to hit on one of the three free agents and that's Bauer Springer or DJ LeMayhew. They don't have to get all three. I think if you get Bauer, you call it a good, you call it a good off season. You set your rotation. And I think you do the same thing with LeMayhew too. Um, I like George Springer. If they don't sign him, but they get one of the other two, that's fine with me because I, I mean, I love Jeff McNeil. I love Jeff McNeil and JD Davis so much. I'm not saying that um, they're better than DJ LeMayhew, but you know, if, if you can keep those guys at their positions and you just have a Springer in center field, your, your rotations already bolstered up. Um, same thing, the same thing opposite way around. If you sign Springer, well, now you can have McNeil and Davis on the infield. Um, your thoughts on that and what the Mets need to do uh, to compound this Lindor trade. Yeah. I mean, if you sign one of those three guys, this is, you probably talking about the greatest Mets offseason ever. And that's aside from adding a billion dollar owner into the mix who loves the Mets, you know, he's spending time on Twitter going, now we could talk about the, what's really important, the black jerseys. So, I mean, you can tell he clearly loves this franchise, which if you told me they did nothing this offseason, I can make the case that it's the best offseason ever. You're adding premier, premier MVP candidate in Francisco Lindor, a top pitcher that no one's really talking about. Cookie Carrasco was fantastic last year, and he's been great. You know, like six of the last seven years, he had the one hiccup, you know, in uh, 2019. But Chris, uh, sorry, John, he is uh, – a fantastic pitcher. I think he's going to be a great number two in this rotation uh, behind uh, Jacob DeGrom. Right. And, and that's why if they don't sign Bauer, I'm okay with it because you've got DeGrom, you've got Cookie or Syndergaard. Um, Matt's who I'll be honest with you. I don't think he's going to last that long. I think it's Peterson's job to win. Um, and then your number five is Stroman. It's not uh, bad. I would probably say right now their rotation is DeGrom, Carrasco, Stroman, Peterson, Mats. With I don't think you can count on Syndergaard. Okay. Off the Tommy John, you know they don't. They are hoping he'll be back in June. You never know with Tommy John surgery. What's he going to be able to contribute at that point? So, like to me, I'm I'm not penciling him in anything right now. And okay. the hope is that you'll bring in some kind of other arm. Ideally, Trevor Bauer, but who knows what that price is going to get? You know, there's. Jake, you know, Jake Odorizzi, who's a guy who's been linked to the Mets before. You give him a one-year, $10 million deal to be the fourth starter that moves Mats out of that rotation. I don't know if I really feel comfortable giving Mats another shot to start the season, but I think the priority is to add another arm so you can make sure that Seth Lugo goes back into that bullpen because that's how that bullpen goes from shaky to great because he is one of the more underrated relievers in the game. 
And I really believe that he is by far the best relief option. So I would rather have that guaranteed relief ace than a, we're not sure what we're going to get out of him as a starting, starting pitcher. Right. And I know that the conventional wisdom is you can build a team on pitching. There's never enough pitching. We saw the Mets get carried to the world series by their pitching. Um, But you've seen it done other ways too, right? There's different ways to skin a cat. Um, You could look at the Cubs, uh, you throw the Astros with the asterisk, but they had good young talent uh, at position at positions. Um, And that's what the Mets need. That was something that the Mets were lacking. And if you look at that 2015 team up the middle, they weren't the strongest. Wilmer Flores was the shortstop Um, and Ruben Tejada couldn't hit. And it's not like he was uh, Omar Vizquel out there. You know, the Mets now have a legitimate five-tool player up the middle in in Lindor. Uh, If Jeff McNeil is the second baseman, that's another good player that's up the middle. Um, And then if Springer's your center fielder, okay, let's go with McCann behind the plate. That's a team that could, that, that should win the division or should be favored to win their division. And I don't think they're better than the Dodgers. They're better than the Padres, I think, based on experience. But talk to me in three years, that could could probably switch. You never know. Um, But where do you stack up the Mets now, divisionally and with the rest of the league? Divisionally, I still think they are not the best team in the division. I would probably still go with the Atlanta Braves. I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what Soroka's status is, you know, coming off, what was it, the Achilles at a city right. field that was brutal to see but hopefully he's okay and this could be a fun division race but if he's healthy to me the Braves are the team to beat they still have the better position player group as you said and Washington Nationals have the, coming off the down year don't sleep on them they were the you know champions a couple years ago and they still have relatively the same team brought back other than uh, Anthony Rendon so I think they're going to be a threat I also think they could go out and sign JT Real Moto and then all of a sudden we're talking about maybe the Mets are still the third best team in this division. So look, the Mets have put themselves in a position to be a front runner for a playoff spot. The question is how f- much further do they need to go? And to me, they need more pitching. Right. And, and that's the way you go. All right. So if they don't sign Bauer or Oda Rizzi, do you then just stock up the bullpen? Yeah, that's the way I would go. Uh, Brad Hand's a guy who I think makes a ton of sense. He's uh, the, the Indian let him go because they didn't want to pick up a $10 million option after, you know, another all-star caliber season. And, you know, you shake your head, I shake my head. But the idea is no one else picked up that option. He went through waivers. No one, anyone else could have had him on that contract. And uh, no one agreed to that. So I don't think he's going to break the bank. There's Liam Hendricks, who's been the, you know, unspoken secret in baseball out in Oakland the last couple of years, he, I think he had like a one six ERA the last couple of years. He'd be by far the best reliever on the Mets roster, especially if uh, Lugo is going to be a swing man again. So I think either of those guys can really change this bullpen significantly. I know that the three batter minimum has certainly changed things, but they need another lefty besides Jerry Blevins. Um, and I like Jerry Blevins, but you know, he's, he's a non roster invite. I'm trying to think of their other lefties. Um, they had, they had uh, Justin Wilson. I think he's a free agent. I haven't heard a peep out it anywhere he's going. Right, exactly. So Brad Hand would make perfect sense. Okay, so we mentioned the trades in, in, in Alderson history as well. Um, you know, let's – I don't want to grade Porter yet. Um, I like what he's done. I don't know. You know, I, I was talking to a few friends, and I, I don't want to knock the guy so early – um, so I won't, I've heard the conspiracy theories out there. Well, he's just a placeholder for Theo Epstein and, you know, maybe, maybe the Mets could trade, um, for different GMs, bring in David Stearns, bring in, um, Chernoff, uh, from Cleveland. It, 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 that didn't seem to happen. 
if you ask me, this is Porter's job for now. And I know that he'll have direction under Alderson. Um, but even just listening to the press conference of the two of them today, I don't know if you had the chance to watch. He seemed like a guy that was really in control. And I'll go to war for that guy. I thought he was really good um, with with answering all the questions. He's got a really good knowledge. And, and you know what's the interesting thing and what's really refreshing about the Mets and how they've handled everything is this trade, the news broke at, I don't know, at the top of an hour. And then by the bottom of that hour, it was official on both sides, which was yeah. insane to me. Um, so the Mets have been working good co- covertly. Um, and, and there was an athletic article out there and everybody has praised Porter. They love this guy. Um, you know, maybe the Mets just hit a home run on their GM right now. And you know what? Hey, ride the hot hand. He's got good direction with Alderson. And this is just what good teams do, Steve. And, you know, if they don't do anything else the rest of the offseason, I'm okay with that. I'd love to see them, though, make moves or at least throw their funds into the minor leagues now. Because if you look at the Dodgers, everyone talks about, oh, the Dodgers bought their way to a championship. No, that team was almost entirely homegrown with the few additional pieces that were picked up along the way. Um, so that's that's how I'm grading Porter right now. I want to see what he does at the minor league level. Um, but I like what I'm seeing so far. Yeah, it's, I'm curious to see how involved Porter was in this because if you remember a couple of months ago, we had a situation with Ahmed Rosario where he's on his Instagram, he's scrubbing the Mets from his, all, his entire feed. I think he sat on Instagram Live in Spanish if he was heading to Cleveland and then – everyone's reporting oh what's what's a med no because no one knew anything and then all of a sudden you know three months later he winds up or you know two months later he actually winds up going so I wonder if Sandy was close on this a couple months ago and then all of a sudden something changed to push them to the finish line and um, so to me I view Sandy and Porter as you know kind of one team I don't say oh good job Jared Porter I don't say good job Sandy Ellison to me they're they're both one team because I don't really know who did what how far along this was before Porter was even a thought to be the Mets GM at that point and so they both deserve credit and again as you said the industry has praised Porter significantly so I think he's going to be a great fit here and again Sandy knows his guys and I think you know he's always built strong front offices as a Met so I would think uh, having him around is going to be a big addition and as for the draft it's going to be tough to tell the changes they've made until draft time, at least. And so, you know, they they have a a high pick in this uh, June draft because they didn't make the playoffs. So it's going to be a significant, you know, situation to see how that goes. And then in terms of international scouting as well, this is an organization that has kind of been cheap on that end, you know, for a couple of years, and then they'll go in on a big guy, you know, like a Rosario, and then they'll kind of go back to being cheap. Now, you know, they're going to have to step it up. And a lot of the time, the top recruit, you know, the top 16-year-old kid, you know, everyone knows who this guy is. It doesn't take an army of scouts to go find him. It's just about paying him the money. And so, yes, they need to increase their scouting staff for sure and their analytics staff for sure. But it's also going to be about just forking over the money for, you know, the t- a couple of guys on the top 30 list everywhere and hoping you're going to unearth a couple of gems. You're right. It doesn't take that much skill to scout Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, you know, Ronald Acuna, guys like that. Um, yeah, Steve. All right, let's 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 skip away from the Mets for, for one second, and then I'll let you go. Um, what have your thoughts been on just the baseball offseason as a whole? Really not a lot of movement. The Mets have been 
the Mets and the Padres have really been making the most noise. Um, I'm loving what San Diego's doing. It's really nice. Um, shame on Tampa. I said this in, in, in another podcast. Not only do you pull Blake Snell and then you just trade your ace away. Um, not really good. Good optics there for Tampa Bay. And, and it's a shame because year in and year out, they put a productive team on the field, but they don't win. And you have to win eventually. Um, I don't care how small of a market you are. They put a productive team out there every year and they haven't been able to go to the finish line this year with self-inflicted from that standpoint. But I'm loving what San Diego's doing. I love that they're aggressive. And they've got a GM, AJ Preller, who's not afraid to blow it up mid-season if it doesn't all work out anyway. But uh, your thoughts on San Diego and the rest of the uh, baseball offseason? First of all, Preller, Long Island guy. Got to love that for sure. Look, he's done this before. He had the big offseason. He brought in, what was it, Justin Upton. And uh, I'm, I'm blanking Kemp. on some Matt Kemp and like there were some, there were some big names he brought in and they flopped and he was able to pivot and Kimbrell was another one and they were able to pivot and really just change that franchise. And it took them a couple of years to get back, but now with this amazing, amazing farm system and the ability to go out and spend some money, they've really revitalized this team with Machado Hosmer a few years ago in the free agent pool. And now the trades with Blake Snell and Darvish. So they're going to build this great new core around their superstar, Fernando Tatis Jr., who, in my opinion, yes, Lindor is amazing, but I think Tatis might be the best shortstop in all of baseball. And to me, that division race, Padres-Dodgers, is going to be so good that I just hope baseball keeps it five playoff teams just so we get an entertaining race for that division because if you make it eight playoff teams again there's going to be no incentive for either side to win that division they're just going to be like it doesn't really matter so i hope they make it incentivized to win that division because that might be the best rivalry in the sport next year i agree with that 100 percent. i i feel like baseball is i know that baseball is always one of the last sports to to change with the current times in the past they used to be the innovators um they really took a page out of uh, baseball and hockey this last year, putting in the eight teams in each league, but I'm with you. Um, it's, it's baseball is a marathon. It's a journey. I enjoy that. There's only five teams each year. I thought they hit a home run on the wild card race uh, when that was introduced a few years ago. Um, or what's that? That's like six, seven years ago now. I can't believe time's flow. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that that's going to be a fun divisional race. And this is probably the first time since um, the new ownership for the Dodgers has taken over that the Dodgers have had a team um, have had a team uh, creep up on them or actually, no, I'm trying to remember when the Gi- So the giants last one in 14, I'm trying to remember when they new ownership, Never mind. This is probably the first time since those championship giants teams that have been uh, a thorn in, in the Dodgers side when it comes to the NL West. Yeah. I mean, and I think the giants were wild card teams a couple of those years. Right. So I don't even think they even faced each other for that division. So I, I think this will be their toughest test since that new ownership came in. You know, I think it's, it's been like, what, like eight years in a row they've won the division out of the world champs. I still think the Dodgers have the better team, but, you know, those guys have been through a lot of postseason games. Injuries could come up, and the Padres, to me, are a top five team in baseball. And when you have that kind of team in your division, they're always a threat to take over. Right. No, and I'd imagine – and that's where you have to look at the wild card spots, right? I, I, I'd find it, I wouldn't be shocked, but if I was a betting man um, and you're more of the betting expert than I am, I'm willing to bet that the wild card comes out of the West and the East in the National League, um, whoever doesn't win the division 
on that front. Um, last thing, uh, we'll, we'll keep it local. Actually, no, two things. So number one, so if, you know, if Cleveland's a team that's dumping everybody too, the Cubs just dumped you Darvish. I'd have to imagine that they're entertaining trade offers. Could you see Chris Bryant uh, or uh, Wilson Contreras in a uniform that's not the Cubs next year? Absolutely. I think if the Cubs get anything close to 50 cents on the dollar for, for Bryant, I think they will flip him in a second because I think they're made it clear. We're going to shed payroll. We're not really in that championship window anymore. He's expensive. He's coming off a bad year and we can, uh, you know, what they, what do they call it? Financial flexibility. So I definitely think if anybody comes up with a close to decent offer, how about those nationals? We talked about them before. They've been looking for a third baseman since Rendon uh, departed. I think that makes a ton of sense. Contreras is going to be a little tougher. He's one of the better catchers in the game in a, in a game that has less than 10 starting quality catchers in it. He's got years of control. I would think if a, a team is going to have to bowl them over to go get him, but at the same time, he is still gettable. Right. And that's somebody that you can bring in a huge hall of prospects. Um, and I can only imagine what the return would be if you were to package them together. Uh, last thing, we'll keep it local. The Yankees, you know, every year, everybody expect, or at least I remember a time where the top free agents were always linked to the Yankees or the Yankees were always in on every trade. That doesn't seem to be the case this year. And it's been very un-Yankee-esque this off season because in the past and you know, I hate to be that guy that says, oh, well, when George was around and when the boss was around, everybody would have been signed and this team would have been tidied up. Um, I don't know how true the DJ LeMahieu rumors are, um, but it is concerning. I don't believe that he's going to be back the way that it's going. I don't know where the Yankees go. Maybe you throw more money at D.D. Gregorius and bring him back because you know that you know what he can do. He was your guy at one time. Um, I, I'm just ready for the Yankees to sell their fan base on Herman is coming back. Severino's coming back. We're okay. And maybe we could get Tanaka on the cheap. You know, I, yeah, I, I'm not expecting a big thing out of them. It, it's coming, John. You're going you're gonna to get that really soon because it seems like a majority of teams, 25 to 28 teams, other than basically the Mets and the Padres, have decided we're not spending money. We have to cut costs. It, it seems eerily weird to me that it's happening you know it happened last year to a degree it's happening more to a degree this year and uh the cba is up in a few months and i really believe it's a concerted effort to basically say if you want us to spend force us to put in a salary floor and if you're going to make us put in the salary floor we're going to need a you know a salary cap and the owners have basically been acting as if the luxury tax is a salary cap for the last you know five to ten years but they want a legit salary cap and they're going to say, hey, we're not going to, you know, all of a sudden you're not going to have, you know, the Cleveland Indians with a $40 million payroll. You're going to say, hey, the minimum cap is going to be, you know, $100 million, but teams can't go over $180 million or something like that to limit spending. And I don't, I don't like it. I don't think it's the right thing. But to me, it's, it's January 7th. We have, you know, of the 10 top free agents, who's the best one that's signed so far? Would you say it's like, it's James McCann. Right. You know? And that can't be coincidence Yeah, every year it seems to get later and later and later because, you know, in, in NBA and NFL, if you don't sign those top guys, to big over market deals within the first 48 hours, you're losing them. And here, you know, we're three months into the off season basically. And 
there is no expectation that anyone's close to signing. And not just that too. And you mentioned how slow it's gone at a snail's pace. Bryce Harper signed on February 28th. I remember counting down the hours saying you're going to have a potential hall of fame player be a free agent on March 1st. Spring training had already begun for the Phillies when they signed him. Um, yeah, I, I love the salary floor idea. Um, now that I, I'd imagine it'd be a whole CBA thing where like, all right, um, teams would get grandfathered in. I'm okay with the salary floor of 150 and the cap being at 250. If you want to push it right, up, but to it, three, wouldn't, it wouldn't be 250. Right. It would be lower than teams are spending now to get them to spend less. And to me, that's why it's a problem because all of a sudden you're going to be having teams, you know, all of a sudden the Mets can spend money and you're going to tell them a year from now, hey, you got to cut costs. So it's it's a big problem for me. It, it makes the game less interesting. And it just seems like we're in for, you know, as baseball fans, we're in for a world of hurt this, uh, this upcoming next winter when the CBA is up. And uh, hopefully we can get some resolution on it. So that way they, these off seasons are fun. Like JT Real Muto is the best catcher in baseball. And you haven't heard anything other than the Mets who have moved on and his incumbent team, the Phillies, who don't really seem to be willing to give him that mega deal either. So where are these other teams? You know, like he's a top star catcher. Like doesn't anybody want to win? It seems as if, you know, the financial savings and the profits you make are really what these owners are looking at over world championships right now. Right. And you don't win banners for saving the most money. Um, if yeah. you did. Uh, the Indians be... are world champs right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve. Well, listen, thanks for hopping on late just to discuss this. I'm going to post this uh, ASAP. So that way the world gets every action, but listen, man, always a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Oh, of course. Happy to do it. I'm hoping we'll get some more baseball news in the next few weeks. We could talk about it. And uh, thanks for having me on.